Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise be to God. Thank you all for joining me. All you in my home that come faithfully every week to Gospel Saving Church and all you coming from SoundCloud and all over the world, God bless you. And thank you for those of you who come every week and listen to this message. God bless you and thank you for joining us and hearing the word of the Lord. Um, We're going to be in 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 10 today and we'll Read them after my thoughts on last week and after a word of prayer. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, ask the Lord to bless our service and help us to understand His Word today. i uh, got some really interesting information for us today, so if you guys want to just please join me. And uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for this new day. For you have given us all, every person that's listening to this message in the whole world, you, you've given us a new day. Whatever day that is, Lord, whatever time of day that is, whatever country we live in, Lord, you've given us a brand new day. And Lord, thank you for that new day, Lord God. A new day faces trials and tribulations, Lord, but your word says that you, if we walk with you according to your ways and your rules, Lord, that you walk with us. So Lord, I just thank you that I have an opportunity and those that are out there that are yours have an opportunity to walk in this day with you, Lord, and and let you help us, Lord. And, and as we fellowship with you through this day, Lord, we just thank you for your love and your constant companionship, Lord, and your leading and your guiding, Lord. Lord, we just uh, praise you and ask you to bless this service, Lord. Bless my message, Lord. Bless the message that I've spent so many hours preparing this week, Lord. Help us all, Lord, to hear you clearly, Lord. Help us all then not to be just hearers of the word only, Lord, but doers of your word, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that this message, Lord, would touch the hearts of those listening all over the world. And Lord, your word, by your Holy Spirit, by your authority, not by mine, would bring people to change. Change both the sinner, Lord, to come to know Christ and be saved, and the Christian, Lord, to be sanctified more in you and have a deeper relationship with you. And I pray all these things, and I ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My thoughts from last week's message, Jesus Christ, the word of life, but do you believe? Last week we heard some really powerful eyewitness testimony of Jesus Christ, some of the most powerful in the whole world from his closest, one of his closest disciples, John. Remember Jesus had the big three, Peter, James, and John. And John here wrote to us there and he gave us some awesome eyewitness testimony telling us that he even experienced Jesus Christ, him, and not only him, but the disciples too, with, with all with their senses, with their seeing, with their hearing, with their touch, with their gazing upon. And, you know, that's some really powerful eyewitness testimony, uh, you know, to prove to us that Jesus Christ is real, that he was, he revealed himself back then to the disciples and, and John and all the peoples that lived back then. Plus, you know, that he's still real today, of course, that the disciples laid down their lives for the resurrected Jesus Christ that they saw, which then I capped that sermon off telling you how Simon Greenleaf, a master of law from Harvard Law School, became a faithful follower of Jesus Christ because of John and and the disciples' willingness to lay down their lives for this Jesus Christ that they had witnessed personally raising from the dead. They saw him alive again. And he said, you know, I come now, I go to the Father. And so he's still alive to this day. So these are some awesome, powerful proofs that the fact that Jesus Christ really came and that he's really real to this day, I would say. 
But what if a skeptic would say that these aren't proofs at all? And today, hey, it's June 2016, a day in June, or whenever this sermon is being preached, or whenever you listen to it, and you say, I can't see these things today, so you know what? Since I don't see them, they're not valid. Well, I can understand a a skeptic's heart in saying that I am today a true skeptic. Uh, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but I'm still a skeptic. A skeptic is not a bad thing. They believe, you know, hey, I need to see proof of things that are happening, you know, and then then there's nothing wrong with that. But I would say to the skeptic that would think that, well, since I can't see that, it's wrong. I would say you're wrong because God is still giving powerful proofs of himself in Christ Jesus to this very day. And they may be saying, or you, if you're the skeptic listening today, well, how? How, Pastor Ed? How, How is God still giving proofs of himself and the reality of Jesus Christ to this very day? Well, I could tell you that he does in people's lives like mine every day all over the world. What about me? Well, I used to be a very hateful, evil, abusive. I was the biggest thief I knew. I was a road-raging maniac, and the list could go on and on and on and on and on. I was abusive to my family. And yet, in one moment after God came into the room and literally came and revealed himself to me, and Jesus Christ spoke to me, at that moment in time when I said, Jesus, I need you, God completely changed my heart, and he gave me a heart of love, and he took out of me a heart of hatred and anger and evil, the heart that I lived for, and I lived with, unfortunately, for 25 years of my life. He changed my heart then, and he changed my direction then, 16 years ago, as I was once an evil-hearted, money-hungry, demonically-filled person. The same way he changed the disciples' hearts after he came to them almost 2,000 years ago, and they went and they proclaimed him to their death. And it was because they proclaimed him that they were killed. It wasn't because they were aggressive or at war, you know, in the flesh or anything. They killed the disciples because they wouldn't stop saying that Jesus Christ is God and he is alive. And today, like I said, Jesus changed my heart. And now I'm one of the biggest promoters of Christ and his truths that I know of in America today. How does this happen for me now when I never grew up in a church I had no formal religious training, and I had no indoctrination to the Christian religion at all. Well, here's how it happened. I really wanted to know who Jesus Christ was. I really wanted to know who God was. It started with just, who is God? Is God real? And so I started seeking for myself, God, are you real? And started praying, God, are you really real? You know, God, do you really exist? And as I did... He answered me to the tune of doing in my life and in my heart exactly what he did in the disciples' lives almost 2,000 years ago. So ladies and gentlemen and skeptics of all ages, Jesus Christ is real and is given proof of himself in Scripture from the past. And he's still given proof of himself being real to this very day in people's lives like mine all over the world. See, because that was me 16 years ago. But there are people that are having that experience with God even today, right now, even yesterday. You just go on YouTube, you can look them up. They're all over. God's revealing himself and giving visions and dreams of himself to Muslims all over the world. And radical, murderous Muslims are turning to Christ like never before. And, And so he's still giving proofs of his existence and his reality still to this very day. If you skeptic, 
want this proof for yourself, just seek Jesus for yourself. Seek God. God, who are you? Can you reveal yourself to me? And please help me to know if you're really real. Show yourself. Reveal yourself to me. And give him a chance to reveal himself to you. And you can see the proof for yourself that God and Jesus Christ are real because he will. Jesus gave a promise. He said, seek and you shall find. If you seek the Lord God, the one who made the heavens and the earth, who created all things, your heart and mine, he will reveal himself to you. It's a promise that he gives. Do you care enough to seek? And that's all I could say. Well, praise God. Let's switch gears and get into our new sermon for today. Our brand new title of our brand new sermon is Be Holy for I Am Holy. Be Holy for I Am Holy. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. If you want to read them with me, you can. If you just want to listen along, you can do that too. But I'm going to read them right now. And we're going to listen to what John has to say now today. The Bible says, John says, verse 5, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Wow. Some pretty awesome words, some pretty powerful words from John. Uh, Remember last week, like I said, John gave us some really amazing testimony of the reality of Jesus Christ in the first four verses of this epistle. And this testimony was to both, if you remember when I said last week, help people come to have belief and faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. As you know, John gave powerful eyewitness testimony and to the skeptic or to the believer and all that John went through, this would be a powerful way to bring them to the knowledge. Hey, Jesus Christ is still real. Hey, hey, Jesus, here I am. I need you. And the second reason was, John told us, was to help Christians that had never seen Jesus Christ to have a fullness of joy in their walks with him, even like us today, because none of us that I'm talking to probably anywhere today have seen Jesus Christ. I mean, some people have had visions and dreams of him, But I've never actually seen what he looks like personally. He's never revealed himself in that way to me, um, June 2016. So anyway, as we move forward in 1 John, John has another point to his next six verses. He revealed to us the reality of Jesus Christ in the first verses of of this section. And now he closes off this chapter, the rest of these verses here, the rest of this section was kind of telling us, hey, now that you know he's real... I'm going to tell you a little bit, hey, Jesus had a message for you and me about God. Jesus Christ brought a message to John and to the world about God, and now he's declaring it to us. Look at verse 5 one more time. He says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Jesus' message of God was, 
is that God was completely light. In our context, that would mean that God is completely pure, holy, unstained by sin, because the section of scripture that we're covering today really has to do with holiness and sinfulness, the light and the darkness. The light is a holiness, the light is purity, the light is perfection, the darkness is sin, sinfulness, blemished by the world, blemished by original sin. So God is light, Jesus said, purely holy, purely unstained by sin, and in him is no darkness at all. And again, this darkness that wasn't in God, so God was completely not sinful whatsoever. Not even one eyelash of sin is in God. This is the message that Jesus brought. And to get a mental idea of the kind of holy God is, God actually put this one on my heart. I hope you, I want you to see this here. Think of the white, think of a white bedsheet, like a perfectly white bedsheet. Then take that white bedsheet and brighten it by the brightest whiteners that don't even exist to mankind. So making this bedsheet, this white bedsheet, so white and pure that you can't even look at it, that's how white this bedsheet would be. And this is how John says here, Jesus, God, is light. Perfect, bright, shining white like the sun white. And that's how holy and sinless and pure that God is. You see, God has never sinned or he will never sin. Unlike us, God was never born into original sin. God was never born, God is, okay? So God's nature, unlike ours, is zero sin. God is perfect. He's not tainted by sin like we are. He's not imperfect or impure at all. He's perfectly holy and sinless and perfect, you know, just the whitest, bright white you could ever, 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 ever imagine. Uh, God put on my heart, there's a video. It's, it's in the testimony section on gospelsavingchurch.com. And it's about this atheist professor, or a was atheist professor, who met Jesus. Okay, it's a video. And you go to testimonies, and it's, it's, I think it's titled, Atheist Professor Meets Jesus. Well, he has an outer body experience. He's like dying or near death, and he's, he's had this problem. And, and so he's kind of in this hospital bed, and all of a sudden, but that he knows it, he's out of his body. And he's standing next to the people that are the person that's in the room. Well, while he's standing there, he notices, hey, well, I'm not, I feel different. And he looks over, that's <laughs> him under the sheet. And so he could see himself under the sheet and he can see the people standing next to him, but nobody can hear him. And so he realizes, well, I'm either dead or I'm not in my body. I'm just not in my body. Holy camoly, well, you know, what's going on? Well, the next thing you know, he finds himself in like a very dark place. And all these people are surrounding him and they're starting to drag him and saying, hey, we need to go to a place. And he says, he gets like a bad feeling about him and he goes, hey, I don't want to go with you. And they, hey, too bad. No, you know, we don't care. And they start dragging him literally and they're trying to drag him to hell. He's fighting and kicking and screaming and nevertheless, he kind of falls down and they leave him there. He cries out to Jesus. I'm skipping a lot of the story. You can go to the website and watch the video. He gives his own personal testimony. He almost cries within it because it's very powerful to talk about it. Well, he cries out to Jesus in the midst of this terrible situation, even where he's at. And he says that as 
he sees all of a sudden in the distance, he sees this speck of white in the distance of this dark. And he sees this, and all of a sudden this, this speck of white keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And he says, and as it gets closer to him, he goes, it's so white, I almost couldn't even look at it. He goes, it was so white that if I was in my human body, I felt like it would have consumed me. That's how bright white that this light was. Well, this light that Jesus Christ came to him in was his holiness, his purity, his sinlessness, his perfection. And this is the white that Jesus came to this atheist professor. Now, of course, this guy's been converted. He believes in Jesus now. He's not an atheist anymore. And he goes and he gives his testimony. And it's a powerful witness. Another witness, like John's, that Jesus Christ is really real. Okay, but nevertheless, John says here, the atheist, ex-atheist professor says that God is pure and holy, perfect, bright white, so consuming white, you can't even look at it. And he's completely, purely sinless with not one speck of sin. Not any darkness resides in God at all. And that's, that was Jesus' message to John. John's telling us now, hey, this is the message we heard from him. We're declaring it to you. But that's not, only, that's not the only thing that John has to tell us here upon Christ's message about God. Uh, John has a message for those who are Christians or those who would consider them Christians as well today. Look at verse 6, that message for, from John to those who would profess to be a Christian. He says, if we, and we know he's talking to people that kind of profess Christianity because he says, if we, well, who was John and what did he profess? John professed Christianity. So he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, he's speaking to here people that would consider themselves a Christian or people that he knew as people that belonged to the church and to the Christian faith. So if we say that we have fellowship with him, what's he saying? If we say we follow God's teachings, if we say, Christians, that we're friends of God, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of married to God, because the Bible really talks about the marriage relationship that God has with those that are saved. If we say that we're married to God, like, you know, a man would have a, a married relationship with a woman, And he goes on to say, we walk in darkness. Now remember, light and dark. Light is sinlessness. Darkness is sin, unholiness, the practice of sin. He goes, so if we say we have, if we have a relationship with God, we love God, yet we walk in darkness, that means that we're living in and practicing unrighteousness or sinfulness as a lifestyle or a way of life. He has bad news for those here. He says, we lie and do not the truth. So if we say we love God, yet we live a lifestyle contrary to that light and to that love of God, and we live in sinfulness, and we live in sinfulness as a way of life, we lie, we're liars, And we don't do the truth. We're liars. We don't live in God's truth. So we're not really friends of God. We're not really saved. We're not, we don't really have a relationship with God. Really, John says here, we're deceiving ourselves. We're deceived. There's no way we can have fellowship with God, he says, and live in sinfulness. We can't live 
in the practice of unrighteousness and sinfulness as a way of life and still have fellowship with God. Why would John say this? You see, God gave a command in the Old Testament, Leviticus 11 and chapters 20, and the, the Apostle Peter repeats it in his epistle, and he says, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, he says, But as he who called you is holy, meaning God calls everybody that's saved. God calls all people on the face of the planet. Not everybody listens, but God is calling everybody. And so as he who called you is holy, he's talking about now those that have accepted. He says, those of you who have accepted in a sense, you also be holy. So he's talking about sinless in all your conduct, meaning be sinless, strive to be holy, strive to be sinless in everything you do because it is written. Here's the command from God. Be holy, for I am holy. It's where we got the title of our sermon today. Be holy, for I am holy. Paul says the same thing, if you remember in my study of 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Anybody that's professing to be a Christian should leave, flee, get away from all the practice of a sinful lifestyle because... God says, be holy for I am holy. You see, God expects those that are his to strive to live a holy lifestyle apart from the practice of any sin or any sinful behavior, the practice of now. And you might say, well, why? Why, Pastor Ed? Why does it matter? Or that I, who cares? I mean, you know, God loves me. Hey, it's God's grace and he loves me. And who cares how much I sin? Well, here's why. Jesus says that when a person gets saved, he and God come and live inside of them. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And listen, we, speaking of Jesus and God, Jesus and himself and God, will come to him and make our home with him. This is Jesus' promise. If we surrender to him and we start to keep God's word and we, and we, we surrender to him and you know we, we give ourselves to God, God, Jesus promises Hey, we'll come and we're going to live inside of you. We're going to make you, in a sense, our new home. You're going to be like our home, right? Well, basically, at salvation, God and Christ come and inhabit a person's heart as a residence. And since God hates sin, you see, he wants his new house, your life, your ways, to be a place free from what he hates. And again, God hates sin. And John says that if a person professes to love God in Christ and have a relationship with them, so that's what I'm saying. Hey, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. And he says, but they live a lifestyle that is full of the practice of, the sin, of a sinful life or behaviors, then that person who even says, I love Jesus Christ, is lying to themselves and they don't really have a relationship with God. Ouch! And it's not what I'm saying, guys. This is what John says here. I'm not just coming up with my own words here. John is the one saying this. You, by the way, you won't hear this kind of teaching in most mainstream churches of our day today. Most mainstream churches probably stay mostly away from John, all, 1 John, I should say, almost completely together because John 
It's very powerful when he talks about the lifestyle that a Christian is supposed to live after they're saved. And he gives many proofs, as we're going to read as we keep going on in 1 John. He talks about this kind of topic kind of quite a bit. Uh, and pretty much, God is very clear in his word as to what he considers sin and what actions and things he doesn't approve of his kids practicing. And he's also very clear that the fact that no matter whether a person's been saved or not, so even though if a person's been saved, if they turn again and practice a sinful lifestyle, they in a sense give up their relationship with God and they start heading back to hell. Look at what Paul says first in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. He says, and I I want you to understand this. This is anybody that would practice these things Paul's talking to here. Paul doesn't care whether a person's professing to be saved or they're a heathen. He says, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. It's kind of John's same message here. Neither fornicators, so that would be people that have sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, those who worship false gods and false things as gods, nor adulterers, those who kind of go astray from their marriage and have sex with other people while they're even married. Uh, nor homosexuals, those who sleep, you know, have sex with have relations with the same sex in a sexual way. Nor sodomites, nor thieves, those who practice stealing, nor, nor, nor covetous, nor drunkards, those who practice a, dr- a drinking lifestyle, you know, getting drunk all the time. Nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, anybody that's practicing these things, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, if you practice these things, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what what Paul pretty much says. That's what he said very plainly there. He says again in Galatians 5, 19-21, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And all things like those things. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, listen, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Summing it all up, Christians, or those who claim themselves to be Christians, you cannot, ladies and gentlemen, Practice a lifestyle of sinfulness and have fellowship with God and be saved. If you really have been saved, Christian, then you must, according to God now, His command, be holy for I am holy, then you must cease and desist from the practice of any sinfulness in your lifestyle. Or a life lived, a, a lifestyle uh, unto God, you know, you have to, God wants you to practice a, a lifestyle of righteousness. Striving to be holy, as Peter puts it again, holy in all your conduct. Be holy for I am holy. Because if you don't, and you continue in the practice of sinfulness, after you've even been saved, John and Paul just said to you that you will not be saved from your sins in the end. And that means that God won't let you into heaven when you die. Even though you may have prayed that prayer, even though you may have you may profess Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter, John's saying here. It doesn't matter, Paul's saying here. If you practice that sinful lifestyle, God won't let you be in heaven forever when you die. 
And if you think I'm kidding or over-exaggerating about what John is telling us here, look at what he says to us next in verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light, meaning, okay, we've been saved, now we're going to walk in the light. We're going to walk in holiness. We're going to walk in that holy lifestyle that God wants us to live. He says, he goes on to say, as God or as he is in the light, which would mean the light of sinlessness, the light of perfection. Look at the two things he says that happen. He says, first of all, we have fellowship, which would be true relationship with one another. You see, there's a bond between real Christians and those that are really that really love Jesus Christ that other people just don't have. It's called the fellowship in the spirit. Okay? And when we live according to God's ways and we're really born again and we walk according to the light as God is in the light, then we have really true fellowship and communion and relationship with others that are like that. I know many people that profess themselves to be Christians, but they don't walk in the light. They walk in darkness. And you know what? I don't have the same kind of intimate relationship with them as I do with those that really walk in the light. Now, that's still true to this day. That's one thing that'll happen if we walk in the light as he's in the light and we've been saved. The second thing, though, look at this, he says, will happen. And so we're we're saved, we're walking in the light, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And we know that the Bible says that only those who are covered by the blood of Christ are saved from eternal condemnation. And if you look, I'm big on opposites. I've been big on opposites for a long time. If if we walk in the light and then the blood of Jesus Christ covers us, no matter what we say, no matter what prayer we've prayed, no matter how much we think we're born again, if we walk in the darkness or we or we don't walk in the light then the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, will not cleanse us from our sin. Because if we're walking in the light and his blood cleanses us, if we're not walking in the light, if we're walking in darkness, if we're practicing the dark lifestyle, then his blood won't cover us from all our sins and we won't be saved. In addition to what John says here, Paul adds similar words in Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. Listen to what Paul says on the same issue. He says, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth. So that that means that we've gotten saved. We've become born again. Praise God, I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. But then we start to sin willfully, which means eh, sin doesn't matter anymore. Hey, I've been told God loves me and hey, he's all full of grace. And it doesn't matter. I can I can sin. My sin doesn't matter. And then you start to practice that sin. You love that sin and you practice that sin. He goes on to say, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So he's very clear. The blood of Christ covers you if you're saved as long as you strive to live for God, as long as you strive to have a relationship with God, as long as you strive to follow his ways. But if you stop there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. And then look, even here, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation, which will devour the adversaries. And he goes on to talk about how trampling the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what 
being saved and then going back like the prodigal son to, to walk in sin and live in sin and do the sinful things of life. You're trampling God's grace. You're trampling the blood of Christ. And then there will no longer remain a sacrifice for your sins. And there's no doubt about it. If a saved person begins to practice a sinful lifestyle and practice and love the sinful way of life again, according to John and Paul, they will forfeit their salvation and cause the blood of Jesus Christ to not cover them anymore. Paul even says further to Christians in Rome who were saved and under the grace of God, Romans 6, 15 and 16. He says, what then, because this is a problem even back in Paul's day, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Hey, so should I just go ahead and live any sinful way I like? Because you know what? Hey, it's all about God's grace. Look what he says. Certainly not. He says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? Whether, listen, now now again, these are Christians that are under grace. Listen, whether of sin leading to death, and he's not talking about death in the flesh, ladies and gentlemen, because we're all going to die. Sin doesn't lead us to die in the flesh. It, it, it may if we go out and drink and then get drunk and go driving, yes, but he's not giving any stipulations here. He's just saying whether of sin leading to death, meaning death in hell, listen, or of obedience leading to righteousness. If we willfully sin it up, if we willfully trample the grace of Christ, if we willfully and practice a lifestyle of sin, even though we're under the grace of Christ, although we're under the blood of Christ, we'll still be in sin leading to death. God spoke pretty plainly to all his servants, the disciples, for their lives, and to also tell other Christians that would read their writings, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 sums it all up. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Now, because God expects his kids, his true Christians, to not practice sin, a sinful way of life anymore, does that mean that we can be sinless according to the flesh? John addresses that here. So, you know, there might become an error, an attitude of, well, since I'm striving to live that sinless, holy lifestyle, then I'm righteous. I'm sinless before God. Does that mean that we can become sinless no matter how sinless we may get in our lives as we live for Christ? <clears throat> Not quite. Look at verses 8 and verses 10. John writes, If we say that we have no sin... So we're sinless. Now, we, we, I'm, sin, I'm a perfect person. I'm sinless. We deceive ourselves. Ouch. Ooh, that means we're lying to ourselves again. We're not who we say we are. And the truth is not in us. And look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God Almighty, a liar. Ooh, ouch. And his word is not in us. So guys, ladies and gentlemen, no matter how perfect you may live your life as a Christian and strive for that perfection, you're never going to ever be sinless. Ever, 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 ever. We will never be sinless in our fleshly bodies because even the most devout Christians will always commit some sin. Plus, John says there that even if we consider ourselves sinless according to the flesh, we make God a liar. 
Look at what even the Apostle Paul says of himself. Now, the Apostle Paul, I'm going to call him the greatest apostle, okay? He did more for Christianity than any disciple put together. I would have to say if I had, you know, who, who did the most for Christianity ever in the whole world? Well, Jesus would be first. Paul would be right under him. Then maybe Peter slash John, and then, you know, and then some of the other disciples. But Jesus first, then Paul second. Now, even now saying that, Paul was the greatest missionary outside of Christ ever to walk the face of the planet. You'd think that he might have an air of, well, I've done the most work for God. Look at how sinless I am, right? Well, look at what he says. Paul, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He's not speaking of who he was before Christ. He says, I am chief of sinners, meaning I am still the biggest sinner in the whole world, meaning I still commit some sin. I'm still a wretched, wretched, evil man. Because he's talking present tense there, not future and not past, who, of whom I am chief of, chief of sinners. Now, there is good news for those that are really saved and truly walking with Christ by faith and in the fear of God, striving to live a sinless life before him. That good news is this, that although you're not sinless according to the flesh, God sees you as sinless according to your soul and according to your spirit. You can see Hebrews 8, 12 and 10, 17, but just one Hebrews 8, 12 for God's saying here, Paul's quoting God here, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. So God's saying there through Paul, Hebrews, hey, I know you're sinners, but because you're trying because you've surrendered to me, now you're striving for a holy lifestyle. You're striving to love me. I choose not to remember your sin because the blood of Christ, remember, is covering us. And if the blood of Christ is covering us, that's our spirit and our soul. God chooses not to look at that sin anymore. He goes on to say in Hebrews 10, 14, he says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So praise God for the good news that although we'll always be sinners, we'll always be sinners according to the flesh, God sees us perfect and holy and sanctified in Christ Jesus as long as we remain in that covenant with God by faith, striving to live the kind of life that God called us to live as Christians. So, now, although God expects His redeemed to strive to be holy, for He is holy, according to all their conduct and their actions and lives, striving to live a lifestyle of holiness, keeping God's words and commandments, is John saying here in this section that Christians must absolutely never sin again. Like, you know, live a 100% sinless lifestyle holy lifestyle in order to be saved and go to heaven. So I'm talking about, does God expect us to live such a sinless lifestyle that like we never, ever, 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 ever sin again, or else the gavel hangs over our heads and God's waiting to jump up and condemn us and send us to hell at any and every moment that we may sin kind of thing. You know, is that how sinless God expects his kids to be? Well, absolutely not. Look at what our last verse says to us today. Read verse 9. John says, If we confess our sins, because we're still going to always sin till the day we die, unfortunately, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As I said earlier, all of those that God has saved will always sin in some way or another until they die. And it's unfortunate, but you know that's the way it is, unfortunately. We're all still imperfect. We're all still human. But God knows this. And because God knows this, He gave us this provision for that sin and a way of keeping our relationship with Him very close. And you, you have to look at it like this. When a saved person or a Christian struggles against some sin, which means that, you know, we're, we're working, we're trying hard, we're, we're trying hard to please God, we're, we're trying to live that sinless holy lifestyle like he says, but oh, oh man, I, I just got angry with my kid again, and I, I, oh, I just outburst wrath again, because you know, that one teenage boy, he's, oh, he's just so tough, and you're, you're trying really hard not to get mad at that boy every time he does something wrong. And he, he does it all the time, and you're trying really hard. Oh, you, you keep falling. You keep praying, God, deliver me. I don't want to be this way anymore. Oh, God, please get me out of this. Oh. Well, when you do, okay, when you do sin this way, uh, and I'm not talking about you're practicing it either, or you even you love it, you hate it, and you wish you could stop, and you're praying against it. So we're not talking about the practice of a sinful lifestyle, as John's focus was there in 6. But you just commit this sin because you're still human and you're still weak in the flesh sometimes. Well, right after we do it, we realize pretty soon afterwards that we've sinned. And that we start to feel guilty. You know, oh gosh, Lord, I did it again, Lord, I blew it again. God, please strike this sin from me. I I hate this. Now, this type of sin doesn't cause us to lose our salvation. This type of sin doesn't you know, cause us to be cut off from God or even walk in darkness. But it does slightly offend God, as all sin is offensive to God. Same way that as a husband or wife, you know, you're living and you're living to love one another. And you're living to have a relationship with one another. But you know what? Sometimes... She says something or he says something and before you know it, you're in an argument and you said some things you didn't want to say. Now, you didn't wake up that day purposely trying to do that, but by golly, you did it anyway. And now afterwards, you dog, doggone it, you feel bad, right? And then she feels bad. And so what has to happen in order, you know, to just have that reconciliation? What has to happen in order to feel better? You know, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to be mad. You know, I don't want to keep doing this. You come and you say, hey, sweetie, or hey, hubby, I, I'm sorry, I was a jerk today, you know, you know, could you please forgive me? Well, it's the same thing with God. Just like a relationship between a husband and a wife, if they offend one another at times, they should, there should be an apology and reconciliation so that there's no hard feelings and their relationship stays strong. And well, it's the same thing with God. God doesn't hold this sin against us unto condemnation. Like if we were to die after we got into an argument with our wives, oh, we're going to hell because we weren't able to, oh, because the blood of Christ somehow wasn't good enough for us. no. It's just that God says, oh, you know, son, hey, my son, whack, you know, a little bit of smack up across that. Hey, I want you to stop doing that. Stop yelling at your wife. Stop uh, stop yelling at your kid. Whack, you know, come on. Get it right. Get it right. Let's work on it. And just like a relationship with a husband and wife, if they offend one another at times, there should be that apology. You should apologize to God, too. And this is what John's saying here. John's saying, hey, when you sin, because you're always going to sin, Christians, Hey, just apologize to God. God, I, I'm sorry. I did it again. I, I blew it this way. Please forgive me for that sin. And then God says, all right, my son, let, let's keep working on it. We're going to knock it out, though. I hate that sin, but we're, we're going to get it. We're going to work on it. Now, this verse now, ladies and gentlemen, is not to be taken as a catch-all verse for the excuse of the practice of a sinful lifestyle for a Christian or for anybody. 
I have to tell you, this is one of the most abused verses in the entire scripture of Bible that God wrote. Many people use it as an excuse to practice a willful, sinful lifestyle while still claiming to love and serve Jesus Christ. And this would be an attitude of, hey, I accepted Jesus. And you know, I, I know I'm in the club and I, I know I'm drunk. I love Jesus because I've had those people tell me this now. In front of the club, drinking it up, drunk as a skunk. And they do it all the time. I, I love Jesus. The Bible says, oh, I'm just going to wake up tomorrow. Jesus, forgive me for my sin, and I'm, I'm cleansed. I can do whatever I want. This verse is not to be taken that way. God does not say, live in sin and just whatever you want to do, you know, say you're sorry, and then that's it, and you just keep doing that same sin. No, that's not how it works. You can't just do anything you want and live any kind of sinful way your lifestyle that you want. Like we read today, Hebrews 10, and Paul, Paul said here, the blood of Christ and so on, it doesn't cleanse us unless we're walking in the light, and then forgive us of all sin, even though we're going to practice that sin, okay? If you're one of these Christians who practice a willful, sinful lifestyle, all I can say to you is this, oh man or woman or child, whoever you may be, God will not be mocked. If you profess to be a Christian, God expects you to 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written God's commandment, be holy for I am holy. And if you're living a sinful lifestyle of the practice of any willful sin, practicing the very sinful things that God hates, like adultery. So I'm a Christian, but you know... Hey, I'm married, nah, it's all right, my wife understands. You go out and you sleep with other women, or you fornicate, right? You, 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 you go out there, you're not married, and you just, hey, I'm a Christian, but you know what? I love women. I love guys. So you go out there and you, you're, you're having sex with whoever you want to outside of marriage, or, or you're, being, you're acting in lewdness, which is unbridled lust. Excess, lavishnesses, wantonness, outrageousness, shamelessness. And this under this would fall all kinds of things. The way you drive, the vulgar or profane language that you use here. Those would all fall there. If you're a Christian and you, you profess yourself to be Christian and you practice these things, idolatry, right? Living for money, living for another God, serving other things, sorcery hatred. You just hate everybody you, and you drive like it and you live like it and you hate people. If you live contending with people, always arguing, always in some kind of argument. If you're jealous, if you live in jealousies, meaning I'm, I'm just jealous of everything everybody else has. I got to have it. I got to have it. I got to have it. You live in outbursts of wrath. You're constantly raging all the time. You're living in outbursts of wrath. Heresies, speaking bad about God, using God's name in vain, envy, murder. Jesus said, even if you hate a brother without cause, that's murder. Drunkenness, you're getting drunk all the time. Revelies, and just to name some of them, and you're practicing those things, but you profess to love God and have a fellowship or relationship with God or be his friend and you think you're saved. The bad news is, is that both John and Paul are pretty clear in their writings here that they're calling you a liar. And they just said that you're deceived. And that if you really, even if you really were saved, but you're living those kind of lives, so you're living in those kind of ways, 
that you forfeited your salvation. Remember John says here in verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ is... Son cleanses from all sin. Well, remember, His blood will only cover you while you strive to live that holy and sinless lifestyle unto God. As He is holy, you must also work at, strive at, with all your heart, being holy, being sinless as well, too. And remember Hebrews 10. If you sin willfully, meaning you, yeah, it doesn't matter, you say, I can do anything I want. You sin willfully... After you've received the knowledge of the truth, Christ's sacrifice for sins will no longer cover you. But, as you've already experienced, if you're living those ways, a certain fearful expectation of judgment and that fire indignation, which you know that's hell waiting for you. So if you start to live that sinful lifestyle after you've been saved, willfully doing the sinful things that God hates. The Bible just said, Christ's blood will no longer cover your sins. And you will be cut off from God. Ladies and gentlemen, God is very serious about the kind of life He wants you to live after you become a Christian. He expects you to strive to be holy, to live a sinless life in all your conduct, and be holy, for He is holy. God tells you this is a commandment, not just good advice that you can take or leave if you were to feel like it. In America today, friends, brothers, Christians, non-Christians, skeptics, whoever's listening to me, June 2016, this land in America is filled from top to bottom, left to right, with people who profess to love Jesus Christ and God Almighty. And it's right around 85% or so. 85% or higher of Americans today profess to love and know Jesus Christ and be saved and go into heaven. Yet, they live a life of perpetual sinfulness and according to their own sinful desires. The common Christian today thinks nothing of using vulgarity or swearing like a sailor. Oh, blank, blank, blank. Oh, I love Jesus. I've heard people at the break room where I work, and they'll say, hey, how you doing that today? And I'll say, oh, man, hey, thanks to Jesus, I'm doing great. And they'll say, oh, man, praise God. A half hour later, I'll go back there, and they're telling a dirty joke, using profane words. Oh, blankety, blankety, blank. That blankety, blankety, blank. He got me that. I'm going to blank, blank, blank. Yet, half hour before, they said they love Jesus. Just like I did. Yet now half hour later, they're, they're profaning it up, swearing like a sailor. The common Christian ladies, ladies and men living with, living with, with, with each other, guys and girls, especially the younger generation, they live together, no marriage. That's practice of fornication because you know you're not going to live together or not have sex if you're not married. If you're a guy and you're a girl and you're only with that guy and you're only with that girl because that you love them and you're attracted to them, you're not going to be able to live in the same house and love one another and be attracted to one another without having sex. Oh, they're a common Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. Yet I live with my girlfriend. Oh, I live with my boyfriend. Oh, yeah, five years. We're, we're, we're planning on getting married. Yet they believe that they're saved and they practice fornication. 
The common Christian doesn't think it wrong to sexually lust after others. The common Christian, I know them at work, they backbite and they gossip and they talk about others all the time and it doesn't bother them. Crude and vulgar jokes, using vulgarity, very common, doesn't matter. Watching TV or listening to music that has profanity in it and swearing in it and using God's name, that doesn't matter. I'm a Christian, praise God, I've been saved. I'm covered by the blood, I can watch and do anything I want. Idolaters. Most, most Americans I know, even whether they call themselves Christians or not, they live for that almighty dollar. They live and they work and they work and they live and that's what they do. They live and they work to work and make that almighty dollar. And God forbid, we don't want to bring Jesus up at work because, you know, eh, that might get me fired and I might lose that job. Idolaters. Common Christian today, though, in America. Hatred. They're full of hate. If you look in our world today in America, hateful people are hateful and they're angry all the time 85 percent claim to be christians yet all the majority of people out there hate just look at road rage alone me and my wife were going to something the other night and i was going the speed limit in the hub lane here in dallas and a big old honking truck comes up behind us and he rides my bumper i have my cruise set i'm in the hub lane i'm doing the speed limit i'm Keeping the law of the land. What does this person proceed to do? They get a break. They go around me and they purposely cut me off. And they purposely did it because they were angry. And then they got back over. But the sad thing is here, ladies and gentlemen, they had a Christian symbol on the back of their truck. And yet... They acted in anger and hatred and road rage toward me. And they had a Christian symbol on the back of their truck. Wow. Common Christian, contention, always arguing. Outbursts of wrath. Heresies, using God's name in vain. They don't care if they use God's name in vain or use Jesus Christ's name in vain. Hey, it doesn't matter. Hey, God loves me. I'm saved. Common Christian, I get drunk. It doesn't matter. Hey, God loves me. I'm saved. I'm covered by the blood. I, I can be in the bar on Saturday night. And in church on Sunday morning, it doesn't matter. God loves me. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. Etc., 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 etc. The list goes on. If you, oh man, woman, or child, whoever you may be, practice any of these sinful ways of as a lifestyle, and you profess to love God and Jesus Christ, John says to you here, right in this scripture, that you are a liar and you don't practice the truth. And really, the Bible says you're deceived. And unfortunately, whether you've been saved or you've never been saved, you're on your way to hell because you're really not walking with God according to His ways. John 6, if we say that we have, or 1 John, I'm sorry, 1 John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If you are one of these people, God really does love you. He loves you so much. He loves you more than you could ever know. But if you really have been saved, God demands that you repent and turn to Christ again with your whole heart. Stop living a sinful lifestyle full of sinfulness and start living a lifestyle of holiness unto Him and Jesus Christ because He hates sin and He wants you to glorify Him. I close to you with the words of John the Baptist 
to those of his day that said they loved God, but practiced a lifestyle that showed otherwise. You may remember, very popular, Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. But when he, he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. Now these people were the staple of religious people. They were the staple of what people thought, if I could just live like them, other outward appearance, by the way, then I would just make it to heaven. But he saw them and he said to them, Brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, I know you're very religious. He didn't say that. I'm adding that. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Repent and mean it. Repent from your heart. Repent and make God your Lord, not all the things that you serve, and not your flesh, and not your sinful desires. Repent and turn again to Christ. The time is now, Christian, the one who maybe you live this kind of lifestyle, well, you're deceived the Christian who really you've lost your salvation, but you don't even know it because you're deceived. Repent now and turn to Christ again. Where the Bible says God's promise to you is his blood won't cover you and you will end up burning in hell forever. Please, God loves you so much, but you must repent. You must surrender totally and you must strive to be holy for he is holy. Pray with me. Thank you so much, dear God, for these words. Thank you so much, Lord God, for those listening to this message. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit just hit them right between the eyes. And Lord God, if there's anybody out there or the people that are living out there since a whole bunch of people in America live this way, I pray, dear God, that they would not take my authority in this, Lord. I pray that they would just take your words. The words that I used today, Lord, the words that I spoke here today of yours, Lord, not of mine. Your words, Lord. And I pray, dear God, that they would truly repent and stop living in the practice of a sinful lifestyle. And I pray, dear God, that they would take your warning seriously and that they would repent, Lord, and be holy for your holy, Lord, in their conduct and in their ways of life and stop living to please themselves and to please their sinfulness. I love you, dear God. And I pray, dear God, that they would start to love you too. Bring them, those listening, to repentance, Lord. Bring those listening to a deeper relationship with you, Lord. Help us, Lord God, those of us of yours, to just continue to grow in you. But help those, Lord God, that, are, that have fallen away, that are living in sin, help them to repent and turn to Christ again. I pray this all in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.